So this morning uh, we continue the uh, series on Nehemiah. As we as it said, we said other weeks, the series title is God's Emerging Future. As we're discerning God's will for our lives, for the life of the church, and we've come to chapter nine this morning, and it's a long chapter. And I really enjoyed, I have to admit, I really enjoyed reading this chapter because it so powerfully and clearly demonstrates, again, our great and gracious God. Karen shared with us, we turn to the Bible to hear who our God is, to learn more about God. And chapter 9 in Nehemiah just gives us so much about God. And this chapter is basically one long prayer. And in that prayer, the Levites are providing a story. And the subject of the story is God, who he is, what he does. And as we read through this prayer, you will notice that there's this consistent cycle that's going on in history. You will hear a history of God who is faithful to his promises. This prayer will reflect the greatness of God, the graciousness of God. And then we get to the other part of the history. And that's how the people tend to make a mess of things over and over again. And you'll, so you'll see a cycle of a God who loves, a people who mess up, but then a God who continues to love and reach out to his people. Now, to be honest, I thought about just simply reading this chapter, saying amen at the end of it, and that was going to be the message, because it is a prayer, and as I titled it this morning, it's a sermon in itself. It's a complete sermon, and you will hear that as we go through it. And I honestly thought that this passage, it just preaches it. It really spoke to me and preached to me. And what more can be said after this? But I'm going to read a little more and incorporate a little more into the message, into the passage, as we go through it. So as I go through the 38 verses, you'll, I'll, I'll just share some information and then a brief, uh, some brief words following as well. So let's hear the word. From Nehemiah 9, verses 1 through 38, we hear who God is. Before we do, let's pray. God, we are just so thankful that we can come to you again this morning in the presence of your people, in your presence, to hear over and over again who you are, what you've done. Lord, we just thank you that we could read from uh, this book of Nehemiah. And this morning, Nehemiah 9, we just pray that your a spirit will prompt us to hear what we need to hear, to hear, um, put words onto our hearts of who you are. Maybe convict us to where we have fallen short, but then again pointing us to you and all that you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, bless the reading of this word and the message that's kind of intertwined in between it. Hear our prayers, Lord. Amen. Chapter 9, Nehemiah. On the 24th day of the same month, so last week, if you recall, for those who are here, we talked about day 1 and day 2 of the 7th month, and now we continue on the same month of celebration, and it's the 24th day now. The Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of uh, Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. And they stood where they were, and they read from the book of the law 
of the Lord, their God, our God. And they read for a quarter of the day. And then they spent another quarter of the day in confession and in worshiping the Lord, their God. You see, the revival that began in day one, it continued. And the Israelites read, they confessed, they worshiped. Let's continue with verse 4. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were Joshua, Benai, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kenani. And they cried out loud with voice, loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Joshua, Kadmiel, Benai, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, and Pethahiah, they all said, Stand up and praise. Praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. And now begins the prayer, expressing God's greatness and graciousness and many attributes. And notice as we're going through this prayer, uh, how many times the prayer brings up God or uses the pronoun you and your. Blessed, blessed be your glorious name. And may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens. Even the highest heavens and all the starry hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you give life to everything. And the multitudes of heaven worship you. And then the prayer goes back into history to Abram. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. And you found his heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him and to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. And then the prayer jumps to Israel's time in Egypt. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. And you made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into the mighty waters. And by day you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night with the pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. The next part of the story moves to the wilderness and God's servant Moses. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. And in their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. And their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land that you had sworn with uplifted hand to give to them. And then we hear this cycle of depravity and sinfulness continues. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked. And they did not obey your commands And they refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. And they became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them 
even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and they said that this is your God who brought you out of Egypt or when they committed awful blasphemes because of your great compassion you didn't abandon them to the wilderness by day the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path nor the pillar of fire by night to shine them on the way that they were to take You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You didn't withhold your manna from their mouths. You gave them water for their thirst. And for 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. After 40 years. And then God leads them into the promised land. You gave them kingdoms and nations allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. And they took over the country of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. And you made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky. And you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. And their children went in, and they took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands along with their kings and the peoples of the land to deal with them as they pleased. And they captured fortified cities and fertile land and they took possessions of of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and they were well nourished. And they reveled. They reveled in your great goodness. Just picture for a moment how we too revel in God's great goodness. But then that reveling didn't last. That cycle, that humanity's sinful nature kicks in again. Verse 26. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. And then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law. But they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. And they sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. But stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, and they became stiff-necked and refused to listen again. And again, for many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets. And yet, they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. It's like God telling the people, wake up, people. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are gracious and a merciful God. Verse 32, Now therefore our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, 
Do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. And check out the list of who God is. And this is just a partial list as it comes to us from Nehemiah 9. And then we continue with verse 34. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land that you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. Even in seeing and knowing the list of who God is, humanity's natural tendency is to fall short. The devil prowls on our weaknesses. But friends, God is our strength. Let's continue with verse 36. But see, we're slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. And because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings that you've placed over us. And they rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. And we are in great distress. And you hear the people crying out to the Lord again. In view of all this, we're making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. And next week, we'll talk more about that agreement. This is the word of the Lord as it comes to us from Nehemiah 9. So do you understand that this is a powerful sermon in itself, expressing who our God is? But guess what? The story doesn't end there, right? (laughs) The cycle continues. Humanity has remained sinful and broken. Humanity continues to be helpless. And no matter what we think, our sinful nature will always take us in the direction of turning away from God. Israel can ask for for forgiveness of their sins and forgiveness for the sins of the ancestors. And the reality, though, the people then are no different. We are no different. We, as Scripture says, we are all in distress. And as we continue to read the Old and New Testament stories... God's story to us as people... As we continue to reflect on our own lives... On our own, we have to admit that we tend to do our own thing and that we will fall short. But thanks be to God for who He is. Thanks be to God for His greatness and His graciousness in our lives. So the cycle, the story of our sinful nature and who God is, I think it's been summarized quite well in the New Testament. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 3, we hear these words, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, by nature, deserving of wrath. But our gracious God once again, has not left things with us. He has taken matters into his own hands, literally. 
And he again comes in with his great love and his compassion. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 5, we continue the reading, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Our great and gracious God. God took things, as we said, into his own hands, his pierced hands. Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross for our sins on account of God's greatness, on account of God's graciousness. And you've got to wonder, like, why is God so patient, so compassionate, so gracious? Well, the nation of Israel was chosen by God simply to be his chosen people. They weren't chosen for anything that they did. They weren't chosen because they were this one large, powerful nation. No, they were small. They were weak. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. It was nothing that they did. It was everything that God did. They were chosen to be special people, and they were chosen to be set apart. They were chosen to be holy because God is holy. Leviticus 20. The Apostle Peter applied these words given to Israel to Christian believers in the church today. We read in 1 Peter 1, verse 15, Just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all that you do. And that's difficult. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10, we read, But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are his children. Not based on our behavior, not based on anything that we've done, but on God's choosing, on God's strength. We're in the church season of Lent. And maybe some of you have decided to give something up for Lent. And whether you have or you have not decided that, that's up to you. But if you have given something up, maybe I trust that it helps you focus on what Jesus gave up for you. Jesus gave up his life for us. And that is what we're called to focus on. And as God's chosen people, we can all respond to what God has given us. We can all give up something. So this season of Lent, we can give up our sinful nature. Break that cycle of depravity. God, or rather, get out of that habitual life of sin. But you can't do it on your own power. But on our awesome God's power. Because God is great. God is gracious. God has given us his spirit to transform our hearts more and more into his likeness, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. His spirit will work in us to make us holy, to be holy because God is holy, to be holy, to be set apart for God, to be set apart as his chosen people. Again, out of nothing that we've done, but everything that he's done. And we have the opportunity to respond in faith. And instead of focusing on the things that the devil would love us to focus on, we focus on God's greatness and on his grace. Focus on the fact, the fact that God loves you. He loves you so much that he would not let you go. 
And he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for all our sins. Focus on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead so that death is conquered and we can have new life in him. Focus on God's perfections, on who he is. Not on our imperfections or the imperfections of others. How that's so easy to do. Yes, we're called to confess our sins before God and and as we do that, our focus turns back to God, right? And what he has done for his son, through his son, Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of all our sins. Revel in God's great goodness. If we continue to only focus on our sins, our regrets, our failures, or the sins of others, that's the devil continuing his work in us. So be open to God's spirit at work in us. And if there are times in the season of Lent that we tend to fall back into those patterns of sin, as we enter into them, stop yourself. Give up our sins to God. This Lent season, be intentional of bringing the cycle of sins, again, not on your own power, but with the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. But also know that our nature we do t- with our nature being sinful we do tend to fall short we do tend to get into that cycle again but our great and gracious god will reach out to his people and he has never left us so confess our sins before god know that he has forgiven them and that his holy spirit continues to work in you because god continues to be faithful he continues to be compassionate we need jesus And he wants us to enter into a relationship with him. Revel in the grace of our great and gracious God. And together we say, Amen.